SAFM. Legal Conversations. Let's welcome Jared Poole, who's an admitted attorney and also a legal solutions manager at a tech startup called Briefco uh, Cost Consultants. Thank you very much, Jared, for joining us. Good evening. Thank you, and thank you for having me again. Always good to be with you guys. We're talking about the legal sides of uh, entering into a residential lease agreement, right? There are a lot of factors that we need to consider, but the one that I think we usually overlook is that of uh, the incoming and outgoing inspections. Let's talk about what we should uh, be expecting. Firstly, what is the purpose of uh, these inspections? It's actually a very good point you've touched on because it's where uh, I saw in my experience most of the issues coming in because, you know, in all the excitement of moving into a new place, sometimes you forget to check the smaller details only for you to move in and realize that the smaller details are not actually so small. So when it comes to your moving inspection, what you're trying to do is that you are trying to objectively establish the uh, condition of the property that you are moving in. And it's just basically a chance for you, both you and your landlord, to have a look at the place to agree on the condition of uh, the various fixtures and also the condition of whatever structures are in the property. And then agreeing um, who is liable and who is responsible for fixing uh, uh, which defaults and defects. Um, Why you would want to do that in the moving party so that when you uh, eventually do move out of the property, there's going to be no gray areas about, you know, the condition that you live in the property in and, you know, the fact that you might have uh, allegedly damaged something or, or all those kinds of conversations can be completely avoided. Sure. And it's very important that these inspections are done correctly, right? Uh, and when I talk about mm. correctly, it's noted down all the cracks mm. and, you know, everything that is there, the paint condition. And also mm. maybe have tele, um, photographic, uh, you know, pictures that will mm. remind you of everything that was there before in the incoming inspection. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the... The general practice that is followed is that there is a, an annex to your lease agreement um, called the checklist that you, you sort of walk in with. And on this checklist, you've got essentially the full condition of, of um, every nook and cranny of the house. And sometimes even I, I tell people that, you know, if you, if you know you're the kind of person that gets very excited in that, maybe just take someone with you for the moving inspection because it's very easy to look over things like, um, you know, if you're moving, if you're doing a moving inspection in the middle of the day, to not check the lights and to make sure all the light fixtures are working, um, or to make sure that the the like you said, the cracks in the wall are just minor cracks and nothing major in terms of of structure. So sometimes getting a second uh, pair of eyes is also good for for making sure that you don't miss those smaller things. You know, ensuring that the toilets flush, that all the taps work, um, all of those things that you might think are, are very small issues. Um, but that could cost you quite a bit if you can't establish that, you know, you are, are not the person that's supposed to be liable for that moving into a property. So who's responsible in uh, ensuring that there is correct inspections are done um, in the incoming? And who keeps that uh, documentation and pictures of the incoming inspection? So you you actually are um, entitled to both, as both parties keep 
um, photographic evidence of the condition of, of the property as you move in. Just because you see someone else taking photos doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't. I always tell people, you know, it's always best to, to, to cover yourself and to make sure that you have your own set of photographs. Um, you know, I mean, these days with technology, even you never know, and I'm not saying to not trust your landlords, but you never know what might happen if a relationship sours or if photos all of a sudden go missing or whatever the case may be. So um, the first thing would be to ensure that you have your own set of, um, of, of photos if you are going to be using photographic evidence with your moving inspections. Um, and secondly, just to also, you, you can definitely request a copy of the report or take a picture of the report once the um, moving inspection has been completed. And it, it, it's essentially a list that you and the landlord agree on. So if you're seeing things, for instance, like um, the, the light in the living room doesn't work, it's not really a subjective thing that there's a gray area about. It's either the light work or it works or it doesn't work. It's the same thing when it comes to, um, for instance, your cupboards. And um, if there are no handles on the cupboards, it's not that there might be or might not be a handle. It's either there or it's not. So it's very black and white about the standard of what you are checking. And um, from there, once you are done taking a picture of it and both signing um, the, the checklist to ensure that you guys are now in agreement, and then it's you know something that you can point out to being a, 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 um, an objective document. Jared, can you take us through the um, Rental Housing Act? What does it say mm. around um, inspections and also about maintaining generally a property that you're leasing? So the first thing is, is that, and I think this might be something very interesting um, that people might not be aware of, but it's the fact that the lease agreement doesn't actually necessarily have to be reduced um, to writing. Um, however, if you as the tenant would like your lease agreement uh, to be reduced to writing, you can then um, uh, request of your landlord to reduce your, your agreement to writing. And some of the terms of a lease agreement cannot be altered by an agreement between two parties in the normal course of contracting with each other, um, but they are set out by the, by the Rental Housing Act um, of 1999, Act 50 of 1999. And um, particularly when it comes to moving in and moving out inspections, um, the tenant and the landlord must jointly um, um, inspect the dwelling to ascertain the existence of any defects um, um, with a view of you know, creating that checklist that we were speaking about earlier. Um, and, and that must be attached to a, a rental agreement. Similarly, when you are moving out, um, within three days prior to you moving out, um, you are to jointly with the landlord, um, as per the Rental Housing Act, also conduct a moving out inspection. And it gets very tricky with the moving out inspections because if there is a failure by the landlord to be present, um, it is a tacit consent by the landlord that the condition of the property is fine, in which case your full deposit has to be returned to you. And um, if the uh, tenant failed to, to respond to the landlord's request for the inspection, then um, the landlord must, within seven days after the expiry of the lease, um, um, conduct a moving out inspection to ascertain if there are any damages uh, to the property or dwelling. Okay. And now, failures to conduct uh, the inspections, what do these result in? So it can result in a forfeiture of your deposit because if you think of it from a tenant's point of view, if you are now... Um, 
failing to show up to a requested um, uh, moving out inspection, um, there's going to be no way of you being able to defend the position that, you know, that um, there was an agreement in terms of the condition of the dwelling when you moved out. And what that opens the door to is that now, for instance, a landlord has a bit more scope um, to be able to deduct for perceived damages that they will then be able to um, uh, direct is on the fault of the tenant without you necessarily having any evidence to the contrary. And so, you know, I, it's one of the most important parts of um, conducting a lease agreement purely because deposits are normally either a month or two months, sometimes even three months rental. And, I mean, I've seen situations where I've helped and assisted clients at the rental housing tribunal where, um, you know, ridiculous charges were just leveled against them for for breakages that didn't um, exist for um, maintenance work that wasn't on the part of the tenant. And, um, you know, it made life a bit difficult because of the fact that they never had their own objective set of facts to to, to back up the story that the, the moving out inspection wasn't conducted correctly. All right. And then now, when it's not done correctly, um, especially when it's the um, outgoing inspection, what should we be uh, anticipating? I mean, should the landlord or the the, the person who is leasing the place um, then go to the housing tribunal? What should happen? So it will all depend on what the, for instance, if you are the tenant and the landlord is now saying that, listen, you weren't there for the inspection and therefore I'm going to level all of these um, charges against you for damage to the property, it would then um, um, depend on what they were trying to essentially uh, hold you liable for as a tenant. And it's a very, um, um, what do you call it, uh, um, objective way of looking at things. So. If it is that, for instance, he's now wanting you to pay for the fact that there was a wall that um, was so defective that it essentially had to be rebuilt and he had to call in a boulder to rebuild the wall, and you remember leaving that place in a better condition than that, it obviously becomes something that you're not going to really want to be okay with having your, your rental um, or your deposits are deducted with that kind of penalties. And so then you would defer the matter to the rental housing tribunal to assist you in trying to establish what the actual condition of the, the property was. But obviously, it's a long way around the problem, and you can avoid a lot of those headaches um, if you just avail yourself for the inspection or if you keep a, an objective set of facts with your pictures with you to be able to um, bolster your side of the story or your version of events. All right. Um Okay, so this inspection is very important, clearly. Mm-hmm. It's very important. But then the outgoing inspection then gives way. No, before I even get to that, let's do the in- in- incoming one. So I find that there are challenges. I find that there are things that are wrong um, in, the, in, in, in the property. Maybe taps are not working. I see a roof leak. How long does uh, the property owner have to fix these defects or challenges or problems that I find in that property? So that would that would be um, um, uh, what do you call it? it? Would be something that you could essentially agree with to your with your landlord. If you, for instance, feel that it's something that is going to play a, a pivotal part in you um, staying in the the property, um, it might not be a 14-day uh, period that you might want to wait for. You might want to you know agree to them that it's going to have to be a lot quicker than that. Um, and you know the moving in inspection is 
something that happens before you take occupation of the property. And so you still have a bit of bargaining power as a tenant um, to be able to demand that things get seen to and get attended to in time. A lot of the times, you know, because you're trying to establish the relationship, you have, you have to also remember that even when it is that, um, you know, you want to be firm and you want to be, you want to make sure that everything is attended to, you're also trying to establish a good relationship. And so, you know, if it is, for instance, now it's a, a light fixture that's broken, for instance, um, you know, you can tell the, the landlord and you guys can agree and be like, listen, what, what can we agree to be a reasonable time to, for instance, get a, um, an electrician out here to have a look at this, to see what the, what the damage is, um, and to then get us back onto a track where we can agree that this is a reasonable time to, to have this, um, this fault repaired. And normally I try and tell um, both my tenant and my landlord for the sake of not establishing any kind of um, long-lasting um, um, habits, uh, try to sort everything out within the first two weeks of you moving in. Um, you know, if it's any bigger issues than that, make sure that it's noted down so that if it does take longer than that initial two weeks to fix, at least you know it's on the moving um, checklist or the ingoing inspection that, hey, look, there was a leak in the ceiling and now um, it's not getting any better after two weeks and, you know, now the landlord can't come back at you and say, oh, but this is a new thing. You can then say, listen, we signed on this, we agreed on the checklist and it still hasn't been fixed. And then now on the outgoing inspection, this is also a challenge, right? Because um, you might then have uh, things that were really um, about to about to crumble, but when you moved in, they were still okay. So wear and tear caused them to crumble. Uh, yeah. Then who is responsible for those particular uh, defects when I'm doing the outgoing inspection? So this is why it's also important that the... Um, if it is that the the, the um, joint inspection doesn't take place with the landlord and the tenant in three days before um, expiry of the lease, that the landlord does the um, inspection alone within seven days after expiry of the lease, so that as accurate a position can be obtained as to the actual true condition of the dwelling or the property um, at the time when it was vacated by the tenant. And what that then establishes is that it tries to get very close to the timeline of the, the actual condition of the property. And from there, it would be normally very easy to then say, like, listen, if this was just normal wear and tear, um, then it is something that would be, um, um, for for instance, um, something that is a, a defective um, uh, wear and tear issue, that is uh, a light bulb, for instance, is something that can be replaced by the tenant. Whereas if it is a, a more serious electrical issue, then that is something that speaks to the nature of the property, then that is something that is um, um, for the landlord to attend to instead. All right. Uh, you know, Jared, sometimes when I, I think of these things, I um, I cringe, especially because I own property myself and people are leasing my properties. I get, I get like, so, like, I want to drag my feet every time there's an inspection. Um, yeah. Because, you know, things are going to come up. Things like painting mm. of the walls, and people yeah. don't want to pay for that. Um, you yes. know, uh, cupboards that are broken, stoves that are, oh, you know, the list is, can go on and on. And as a property owner, it can be quite daunting. So if my outgoing inspection shows that there's a lot of things that are not in alignment with, um, with what was in the incoming inspection, what do I then do if the tenant says, no, I would rather fix it myself? 
but then I don't know who their service provider is. I don't trust that service provider. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I've seen that happen also a good few times. If someone will say, ah, no, I know someone that can do it at a better price or whatever, um, or they don't want to use the same supplies as you, or whatever the case may be. And that's, that's um, a very regular thing that happens. And I always tell people be guided by, um, you know, what is the resources that are available to you and what is the standard of the property that you are trying to keep. Because if it is something that is for the tenant to fix, um, you know, then it's okay if they get anyone to come and do um, the, the the repair work. But if it's something that speaks to a more, um, you know, serious or more, um, how can I say, that speaks to the nature of the property, something like the plumbing um, that's going to affect the whole property and that, um, but then it is something that's going to be, be you as the owner of the land that I would say need to take a, a bit more of a firmer approach and be like, no, you know, we are going to use my supplier. And um, this is something that, for instance, if you cause it by your neglect, um, should be regulated in terms of the rental agreement or the lease agreement um, that is uh, direct in the relationship between the two of you. And um, something that I normally always include in the lease agreement is um, provisions that relates to the maintenance of the property and also to make sure that the lease understands not to do anything which could enhance the risks of the premises to increase the insurance of the property as well. And that then normally means that, you know, while people are staying there, they behave themselves. They um, make sure not to um, sort of try and do anything liberal because they know that they are then going to suffer the consequences if it is that it's established that they are the reason for um, any of the, the, the defects. Okay, and then if the person blatantly refuses to, to fix, whether they bring their own person or you have mm. suggested your service provider and maybe they've also not paid rent for the last month of their abode, mm. um, then what? So that's when the rental housing tribunal will then kick in. And the nice thing is that the rental housing tribunal is a free service to use um, for either landlords or tenants. And um, one of the things that you can um, essentially go to the rental housing tribunal for is a failure to adequately maintain a, a rental property. And what happens is, is that this tribunal then will seek to try and first, um, um, well, to try to seek to harmonize the relationship between the landlord and the tenant. So what they would do is that they would first try and, you know, mediate things between the two of you, see if there's any way that you guys can come to a middle ground um, um, between yourselves. And if not, they will then um, have a, a full hearing, um, which is then attended to by um, a tribunal of five members who then makes a ruling that is equivalent to that of a magistrate's court order on the matter. So if they then say that, listen, We've now heard the evidence of the landlord. We've heard the evidence of you as the as the uh, tenant. We believe that the landlord is correct in the situation. Um, then they will then issue that directive that now the tenant would have to then be responsible for um, um, attending to any was directed in the order um, or uh, being liable for payment that to reimburse the landlord for any expenses that they might have paid for. Mm. Okay, so at yeah. least we've got the housing tribunal that's going to help us there. Jared, um, yeah. w when is it time then to call in an attorney or a lawyer, um, or is the housing tribunal just sufficient? 
So the housing tribunal, when you come at first and you refer your complaint to the housing tribunal, it's not always necessary to have an attorney at that point. What will happen is, is because they're trying to mediate the situation, it's very similar to that with the CCMA, where they say that, look, the whole point is to avoid any conflict and tension. So there's no need for legal representation at this point. While we are still in these early mediation phases, we're trying to negate any tension. We're trying to dispel any tension. So, you know, you don't always need to walk in there with, you know, your Harvey Specters and all that things. But once it goes to a point where now a formal hearing is going to happen before a tribunal of the five members, um, you are then allowed to have um, um, uh, legal representation to assist you um, at those proceedings in, in order to ensure that your version is properly put before the tribunal as well. Thank you so very much for joining us and also shedding light on this one. It's really helped me. I'm sure it's helped a lot of A-teamers as well. Thank you, Jared. Perfect. Thanks, man.